you'll hear them go by other names like personal care homes, adult care facilities. Um, you know, it has a whole bunch of different names, but residential assisted living is what's really becoming more of the, the popular name for it. Uh, so it's more like their home and you're providing all the same things that you would in a big assisted living without all of the extra amenities, but you have a much lower caregiver ratio. So you're providing more of that personalized care and attention to the residents. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live recording of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that you've come to learn, that you've learned to come and trust with practical, real information about the nursing home space and senior living as a whole. Today's uh, episode is going to be focused on assisted living. I don't recall that we had one focused specifically on assisted living in the past, which is why we're excited to do this. So today's guest is Lindsay, Lindsay McLaughlin. I think you did a pretty good job on your name. Was uh, good. Was a nurse, CEO, has her own podcast, is a public speaker, p- professional mompreneur. Hopefully we'll find out what that means. That's pretty self-evident in a moment. So Lindsay, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you on as well. Um, before we even go you know, too far anywhere, can you give us the short version and again, we just met literally two minutes ago. So can you give us all the short version of, of who you are and how you, co- how you came to doing what you're doing today? Yep. Uh, so I'm a nurse by trade, an RN, and I was a caregiver through college. So I always loved the elderly, but I left nursing to uh, be a real estate investor, which led me to the residential assisted living space. So um, I we have built homes from the ground up. So we have 16 bedroom homes in the residential assisted living world, about to open another one. And we're also acquiring and now helping others start their own business throughout the country. And um, yeah, so that's being a mom. I'm a mom now of five. I've got a 12 day old over there. So a mom of five. 12 day old, you said? Yeah. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So mom of five and running businesses and are just very passionate about providing great senior care. Okay. So that's quite a response. So you lost me when you said you went from being a nurse to a real estate investor. That is a step that nobody takes. Why did you do that? How did you do that? Yeah, let's start with that. A uh, big reason was because I wanted to be able to be in control of my schedule and be with my kids more and build a legacy. So uh, that was really the biggest reason for that. Okay. So most nurses who want to more control of their schedule will try to get a schedule that fits for them and get off every other weekend. Or they'll try to work days as opposed to three at eleven or something like that. Um, you chose chose to move on to the business side, um, and you said all through college you were a caregiver. So 
where did where did that come from? Was there someone else in your circle that is connected on the business side that was able to pull you out, and you didn't completely leave your roots as a nurse? You kind of stayed in the senior care space and kind of got the best of both worlds. So I, I'm assuming there's somebody in, involved outside. I might be wrong. Uh, I have a lot of entrepreneurs in my family and my goal actually while I was in college, even though I was going through nursing school, was to be completely self-employed by the time I turned 30. So when I was 28, that's when I quit my job. And um, no, uh, nobody else was into senior care or anything like that. Nobody else even in the medical field in my family. But um, when we heard, my husband and I, we heard of this concept of residential assisted living, we looked at each other and we're like, oh my gosh we can do this. Like I can use my nursing skills. We know how to build. We know the real estate piece. Like we, we can do this and we can actually help people and make a difference. So it's been quite a journey. It's been pretty amazing. And um, every day there's something new in this world with the senior care industry, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. can you define for us, what is a residential assisted living? Most people think of assisted living, what they see advertised, big, fancy, uh, commercialized, uh, living with big fancy indoor shops and things like that. Residential assisted living is very different. Tell us what it is and how it's different. Yep, very different. It's really from like four to 25 beds. Uh, that's kind of the sweet spot. Uh, I, like I said, mine are all 16, but uh, it's smaller. So it's more home-like, very family-oriented. And you'll hear them go by other names like personal care homes, adult care facilities, um, you know, it has a whole bunch of different names, but residential assisted living is what's really becoming more of the, the popular name for it. Uh, so it's more like their home and you're providing all the same things that you would in a big assisted living without all of the extra amenities, but you have a much lower caregiver ratio. So you're providing more of that personalized care and attention to the residents. Okay. So basically, yeah. So basically you're, I did once look into this. Um, I didn't realize that that's what you did before this conversation, which is great. Um, but basically, <laughs> so what you're doing is you're buying like a large single family house and converting it into an assisted living. Is that pretty much correct or no? So that is what a lot of people do. And that's what we're doing a lot now in um, other parts of the country. Um, yes, we built our, some of ours from the ground up. Up. We also converted what was an adult daycare to be a residential assisted living. So yeah, you can do a few different things, but um, but the whole concept is to just make it very homey, very um, comfortable. And like I said, I like to have about 16 residents, but a lot of people think that sweet spots between like eight and 10. So uh, yeah, just much, much more um, family oriented. Okay. So there's two separate points here. One of them is from the residents standpoint the other one's from a business standpoint well it's two separate conversations so from a resident standpoint if i go into a big major assisted living um i'm going to get the hair salon i'm going to get some sort of grocery on site maybe some activities and some other amenities like you mentioned before that you're not going to have in a residential assisted living facility um, other than the the caregiver to patient ratio is there a reason uh, why someone should choose, uh, why a resident should choose to live in such a setting uh, versus a larger assisted living. Yeah. Um, so typically also in these homes, we may provide higher 
provide care for higher acuity residents. So like a lot of times we have residents that move out of the nursing home setting to be with us uh, because we can provide that same kind of care and they're way more hands-on with them. Um, so if somebody, let's say they've, you know, they're moved past the insurance piece and they're ready to be done with rehab, but they're still in the nursing home and now they're privately paying there. Well, they could be paying, you know how that goes, 12 to $15,000 a month. Well, if they come stay with us, we can still provide most of what they're getting there. Um, you know, we do Hoyers, we help with feeds, uh, two-person transfers, all that good stuff. And, um, and then they're in a much more comfortable environment and, and getting better care. So that's a huge plus um, that for, for the higher acuity residents. Those that are not higher acuity, you know, there's definitely a, a place for reg regular re assisted livings where they do a whole lot more outings and have the bigger amenities. And those are people that are a little bit more of your quote unquote walkie talk walkies, right? Um, being in a residential assisted living may not be ideal for them because they might find it boring. Um, but also somebody that isn't really going to be doing a whole lot of those extra things, but likes to socialize because that's what we're really all about is that socialization. Um, you know, not isolating them to their room. They're not going to an apartment type setting where, you know, they are in their room a whole lot more. The whole idea is to be out in the common space and, um, and just have that, that stimulation and more socialization without scheduled activities. I mean, like you do have scheduled activities, but that's not what it all has to be around um, in order for them to have socialization. They know like they come out of their room, they don't have to go down a long hallway. They're just right there like in a regular home in the family room area and you'll be around others. So um, so it's really good for, for, their for the mental stimulation part. So they're not lined up with all the wheelchairs in front of the nurse's station um like they would be if they would be in a nursing home then they shouldn't be but unfortunately that's usually how it is um they can actually just be home and in a home with with others in a similar situation so what what's the extent of the acuity that a typical residential assisted living facility like what's the max could it take someone on a tray could it take someone on feeding to like yeah. is there a max that they can do yeah, absolutely. And it definitely varies state by state too, and even different licensures, right? Like I'm in Ohio and we've got two different licensures that you could have for residential assisted living. Um, I have the one now that falls under the Department of Health. So we can do a little bit more skilled, like the nurses can do more than if they were under the Department of Mental Health. Um, so, but still with that, you know, we still, we can't do trachs or feeding tubes. We can't do things like that. Um, there are some small exceptions when hospice could provide that care. And that's obviously if it's very short term, but, um, but for a long-term type of thing, no, those kinds of things you cannot. Uh -huh. And as if you're under the Department of Public Health, do you have state surveys similar to a nursing home? Oh Yeah. Yep, we definitely have the surveys and your licensure and all that. And um, then you can be certified to be um, actual memory care still, of course. And um, also, I mean, most of it's private pay, long-term care insurance, but um, you can still also get the assisted living waiver. So uh, we do have that as well. So what does that mean? Uh, explain what that means. So an assisted living waiver is basically like the Medicaid for assisted living. And you can more or less like choose how long you want somebody to be privately paying before they could apply for the waiver and, and all that, um, or how many beds you want to actually accept the waiver for, you know, that's a business decision type of thing. 
So, um, so yeah, so, okay. I mean, there's, they have to obviously qualify. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So and someone... I like, we, we like going with that option because we, we just never wanted to, we never wanted to have the, never wanted to actually kick somebody out because of monetary reasons. Again, when they come to live with us, they really become like family and we have conversations about their finances, but you know, if they've been there for a while and their money runs out, we're going to be like, Hey, peace out. You know, now you really have to go somewhere that is all Medicaid. Like that just didn't sit well with me. So by having the waiver available, then they're still able to live with us. Yes. We don't get quite as much as we were just on private pay, but I can sleep at night <laughs> and I feel much better about it. And, um, and knowing that those residents are still getting the care that we provide. Yeah, and you'll buy another one. <laughs> the, the, What's that? So you'll buy another or build another residential assisted living facility that would cover the losses or not. Yeah. Uh, but sleeping at night also has a, has a value. Um, if someone is looking from a provider standpoint to get into residential assisted livings, um, so you said that, you know, you can take an existing structure and kind of, uh, restructure it, reformat it and build it so that it can be appropriate for such a care setting, or you can build it from the ground up. Why I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong because I don't know exactly what's involved, um, in a residential assisted living facility, is there a short version, the short, is that what you call it every time? Um, RAL, you can RAL. personal care home. Yeah. And RAL. All right. Whatever those things. So, um, <laughs> why would you build it from the ground up? In my brain, I think that would be much more expensive. Am I wrong? And, and if I, if it, if it is more expensive and it makes sense anyways, why? So it could be more expensive for sure. Um, but also, you, you know, there's plenty of states where these aren't very common yet. So to find one that has already been suited for this type of business may be kind of difficult. Again, I'm in Ohio. There are very few around here. So if we would just go buy a regular single family home in order to get it to be able to fit 16 residents, that's going to be kind of tough. So a lot of I mean, that's kind of the norm around here is to be building from the ground up to make it suitable um, and build it specifically for this. Right. So everybody has their own bathroom and their own bedroom um, and all of that. So it can be more expensive for sure, but uh, also more suitable for the business. And then you also asked, you know, if somebody wanted to get into this, what could they do? And, you know, it's been interesting before we even started the business of acquiring these and helping others get started in it. I was getting calls all the time from different people in healthcare, like, Hey, I see that you're doing this. Can I just pick your brain for a couple minutes? I'm thinking of leaving my nursing job. I'm thinking of, um, you know, quitting at the hospital kind of thing. And I've always had this dream of having my own care home for seniors. And that's really picked up since COVID. And we just found it so intriguing that so many people were calling, asking these questions. So um, it's kind of one of the reasons why I started started doing that to help others uh, with their business. So getting their business so, off the ground. Got it. So 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 tell me more about that. Let's go down that path. So if someone is interested, um, uh, two things. If someone is interested and they're looking at um, purchasing or partnering for, with nursing homes or regular assisted livings and then here this option is this a better option is it easier to start with this is it more profitable um is there a reason to choose residential assisted these 
facilities for now to the end of this episode. We call them these facilities. Um, is it <laughs> is it um, easier to work with these facilities, or is there a reason to do it? You know, to, as opposed to someone who's going to say, "Let me try to get like a massive nursing home and get a small percentage of it, um, or a big assisted living and get a small percentage of it," versus taking one of these things and maybe be able to finance it, you know, yourself if you know, if, if someone has the means to do so, or maybe even take out a mortgage like you would take for your home if you got a business loan. Mm-hmm. So for, I guess the question is, does that make, should that, should this be for anybody looking, you have an individual, if you guys know who's an administrator, let's say, I'm going to, because I deal more with administrators that burnt mm-hmm. out from the industry, burnt out from COVID. They just want, like you said, they, they want to be able to build a legacy for themselves and they want to move over into ownership. They can buy a nursing home, they can buy a traditional assist living or this. Should they choose a residential assist living facility? Who should choose it? Is it for everybody? Like, how, how would you advise someone to make that decision? That was a big loaded question. All right, let's, yeah. let's tackle this. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, if somebody has the means to buy a big nursing home or big assisted living, more power to you. You know, that's awesome. Uh, the residential assisted living, you know, there are a lot of options out there now to be able to get in by um, working with different companies on a lease option type of thing. Um, there's different funding options. So somebody could get into this with a lot less money. Um, however, you know, if you're going on the smaller route, I- even a 16, 20 bed home, you know, I advise everybody to be very clear on what you're wanting to do. If you're not wanting to be hands-on at all, then that has to be budgeted in to make sure that um, you're getting proper management in there right from the get-go, which just means a little bit more of a delay and profiting, right? But um, as long as you are working your books correctly and uh, strategic about that, then that's okay. Um, but um, but a lot of people get into this because they do want to be hands-on. You know, they may be burnt out on that structure of the nursing homes and all of that. And they want to really run something on their own. They want to make the policies. They want to establish the culture and um, hire their own people and work directly with the families. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot to be said about it, but is it for everybody? No, of course not. And are there challenges? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, we're in senior care. There's going to be challenges, right? so I don't know. I mean, there's there's going to be pros and cons, but if they're wanting to be involved and feel like it's really theirs, then this is I mean, there's so much that can be done in this industry and there's so much room for growth. It's growing like crazy. So, OK, interesting. So what I'm picking up between the lines here is <laughs> that I'll, there's a certain frustration and maybe as a nurse more than administrator um, when you're a lot of people go in, they go very idealistically into becoming a caregiver of any sort, whether direct or indirect. And you really want to spend the time to get to know the resident and to understand the family, understand who they are, what's important to them, what's not important to them. There's uh, many times there's a lot of clinical um, implications, just knowing their schedule and toileting them so that they don't fall. And, you know, just uh, knowing this person worked the night shift. But a lot of the I guess the tenderness or the I, the 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 idealism in going into into senior care versus what is actually like to be in a nursing home with call bells um, going off all the time, um, with people coming in, people going out, not having enough staff or supplies, 
and just, you know, one nurse on lots of patients. And those moments are few and far between. And, you know, spending more time on documentation and staff management and resource management as opposed to actually, you know, and the families are like people that we're reluctant to call and we'll call them and we're mandated because somebody fell. And if we don't call, we'll get cited for that. Um, but they're, they're not, many times we don't view them as our friends. These are people who can report us to the Department of Public Health. So if they come in, when, you know, then we deal with them. If they're quiet and they leave us alone, then good, leave us alone. But And you're, you're kind of missing that link between being able to express the need that a lot, of, a lot of people have to actually care for other people and give to other people. And it becomes more of, you know, making sure you check off all the meds that were passed and all the documentation that was done and all the treatments that were done and, you know, getting in and out in a timely fashion, missing that, you know, the, I guess the, like the tender uh, part of the business, which attracts good people to this business. Everyone knows that, you know, some of the best human beings in the world are in this business because they actually care for people. They could, they could be doing the same thing and making more money in other industries and choose not to. So it seems like that is not, that is, uh, and add to that, people are not getting paid what they feel like they deserve to get paid. Um, not having, you know, certain resources and not getting career advancement like you have in every business, including ours. So mm-hmm. it seems like from that aspect, um, a smaller, more intimate setting simpler setting where you don't have all those layers of management uh, allows for a certain openness in communication and relationship building between the caregivers, the residents and their families. And it's much closer to, I guess, what the ideal picture of providing care is like and why people go down this path to begin with. Does that make any sense to you? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's that right there. That's kind of the golden ticket of how it's different and like why somebody would want to be there because they can shoot a text message over to any of the management or nursing staff and they're going to know exactly what's going on with that resident at any time. You know, they can send pictures. They the communication is is really great. Um, You know, they're getting weekly updates, if not even more frequent. But uh, the families are in there all the time. Uh, if you don't have a family in there, it's like, wow, what's going on? You know, like, why mm-hmm. are the families not coming around? Because they do. A lot of times they'll come in, just hang out or be visiting um, pretty frequently. So that in that aspect, it, it is really nice. And the caregivers really um, get a lot of time to engage with the residents. And even if it's just sitting and talking or sitting and coloring or sitting and having coffee, you know, it's just that that one on one time that really creates um, some special relationships. So, I mean, just building on what you just said, um, I, there's a struggle that family members have many times with placing a loved one in any facility, and there's a feeling of guilt. Now, here's mom and dad who cared for me for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and now I'm just going to give them off somewhere and you know just dump them in a nursing home, which some people have no problem with that. I can tell you, I've seen with my own eyes um, a daughter who pulled up to one of the facilities that I was involved with, um, the, the parent got out of the car or they helped him out of the car with whatever they came. And before we had a chance to turn around, they just zipped away never to be seen again. And yeah. so there are people like that too. Uh, but most people, I'd like to believe that most people are not like that. 
I think it's a natural thing for us to, uh, at least when, as adults, <clears throat> even if we don't tell our parents, but at least we know um, that they've always been there for us. And we don't really want to place them in a, in a facility. But the problem is sometimes it's appropriate because we cannot care for them at home. So we hold on to them longer than we should. And sometimes that can accelerate certain you know, uh, conditions that they have, and make them fall, and then, you know, break something, and end up in a nursing home, and then once they're there, they get a bed sore, you know, one thing, excuse me, one thing can lead to the other, so this seems to be that in addition from a provider standpoint, but like from a marketing standpoint, I think it's true that someone can go in there earlier um, and feel comfortable that we're not leaving someone in an institution where they're going to wait online with a bib and till they get their food, which is cold, till they remember to give their meds, if they do, um, until I even get information about what's going on, especially if I don't live there, because they're not going to text me back a picture of, hey, here's mom, because they're worried about, you know, regulations, which I'm a little bit curious how that can work there, too. Uh, you know, there, there is a certain liability also. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, But I guess my point is that it should open up. In other words, there's, uh, there's a funnel, there's a group of people that exist that have, they're caring for others, whether it's their parents or anyone else that they're caring for, and they want them, they really cannot care for them mentally, physically, emotionally. They don't have the skill or the experience to do it, and they're holding that onto them anyway because they're not comfortable with the options. This can open up another option. Um, is it more affordable than a larger assisted living? Um, not necessarily. And what we found in different states, it kind of varies um, where the bigger places with more amenities do end up being more expensive. But um, like that's true in Texas, for example. But in Ohio, it's not. We really are about the same um, because, again, our, our payroll is a lot more, you know, paying a higher. I shouldn't say a lot more, but we just have a very um, low caregiver ratio. So, you know, we, we got to we got to justify all of that. Um, but, but, you know, you were talking about the guilt and, and that whole piece. And absolutely. I mean, that's, that's going to just be true no matter, no matter where they're putting mom or dad, or, I mean, they could have them at home and leave and have somebody doing home care for a short time. And they're still going to feel bad, right? They're still going to have that guilt. Like, Oh, I should be there with mom. But like you said, the reality is sometimes you just have to. Um, but, you know, I will say, and I'm sure you've had family members tell you this too. Like the best compliment is when you have a family member say like, I can finally sleep tonight. I can finally sleep because I know mom's cared for like that to me is just amazing because they could have, they really could have gone months or years taking care of mom or dad at the house, having sundowners or who knows what, and really not sleeping or being just so worried about them wherever they're at. And once they come to you and you know that you're providing the care and they can sleep and they feel comfortable and trust you, that that's huge that's everything right there yes that is um yeah it probably doesn't happen as frequently in on the nursing home side of a lot of times they're ready further along um but also if they don't if they don't um find another setting or solution the caregivers can become patients too as as i'm sure you know right you know taking care of themselves and we've had to literally um, you know, kick family members out, not because they were in the way or doing anything wrong, but because they were, you know, severely neglecting their own self-care. And the only way they would listen is if we told them the truth is that your own self-care is really the best way right now that you can care for 
whoever it is, your mom, your dad, your loved one. It's because if you're if you neglect you, you don't eat properly, you don't sleep properly, you don't shower properly, just basics, then uh, you'll you'll be that you know you won't be as able and available uh, to give. You know, also you give and give and give too much to others, and you're left with nothing for yourself. It's just it's just not a healthy situation, and they can get injured and hurt and sick, and then then you know nobody's gaining from that. Absolutely, um, it's sad. From from a business standpoint, if if we could be cold about what we just discussed for a minute and assume that everything equal, we're just looking at spreadsheets, and now and we're talking about from a provider standpoint, we're looking at hard numbers. We're talking to bankers, um, and we want to figure out. Um, let's say you have, let's just pick a number. Let's say you have $5 million to invest. You could invest it as a down payment in one nursing home, or you could do it as a down payment for, I have no idea what the numbers are for residential assisted living facilities, but let's say you could do five of them uh, for the same amount or two of them, whatever is more, um, you know, you, uh, whatever the equivalent is, let's say three residential assisted living facilities equals one nursing home. Obviously there's so many variables, depends on the size of both and, all that um, from a financial standpoint, assuming they let's say you don't care about, well, obviously you care because you're in this business, but taking it ju- just dollars and cents wise, if you have the same, if you're talking to an investor who's never going to walk into either one of them, is ever going to see either one of them. All they want to see is their return on investment. Is there a financial reason one way or the other that you're aware of? I understand that you care deeply for this model and all the reasons that we spoke about. And that's, that's correct. Um, that's a really good, good question um, because I don't really know the return on investment for the nursing home side. You know, okay. I'm not exactly sure how that all works. And and there's so much um, there's so much to do with the insurance and contracts and all of that as well, right? Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, fair. I mean, the beauty of residential assisted living or regular most regular assisted livings is the private pay part. And um, knowing you set your price and that's your price. Do you have issues with collections with the private pay? No, not typically. I mean, there's been a couple issues, but not typically. Mm-mm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh-huh. So the, that's definitely, uh, nursing homes love getting s- some private pay, but usually, usually private pay just means no payer, right? They're marking <laughs> some of the reports as private pay because they ran out of their Medicare days, whatever insurance they were on. And they're not yet approved for Medicaid. So we call them private pay because technically you're billing them and you're hoping that Medicaid is going to retro bill them back to the day they were cut from whatever their insurance was. And their private pay will end up being, you know, if there's any days in between. But to have real legitimate private pay days, you have to think why would someone who could afford to pay private pay choose to keep their loved one in a nursing home unless there's, they're really that sick that they cannot, that level of care cannot be provided in other places. Someone's, you know, unstable trach, let's say, or something like that, where they can't be, you know, can't get the level of treatment at home, then maybe that's different. Although that also could be cared for at home. You know, they can train someone and to do that for a fraction, a fraction of the price, but for cheaper. Um, yeah. So I have a question. Do you know what the profit margin is? So number one is you're assuming that there's a profit. There are many nursing homes that are losing money and closing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So as a rule, I don't know. I can't spit out a number. That is a good question. Um, there are there are those, and it's also changing dramatically. And there there are lots of variables, state to state, 
Um, sure. Even each state's Medicaid reimbursement is very different. Yeah. Um, their Medicare rates could be different. A lot of it could be dependent on the way the facilities themselves are documenting the care that they give. You have two facilities providing the exact same level of care, and they could be getting dramatically different amounts of money just because one of them is better at taking credit for the care that they're giving. The other one's not as good at taking credit for it, and they're not realizing the importance of proper uh, documentation. They could have one negative event that can uh, mm-hmm. pull out a lot of money. It could, it could change their star rating and cause them to lose contracts with some of the insurance, the insurances that brought them the bulk of their referrals. So there, there are certain, they're controllable aspects just because in short nursing home, a nursing home versus, you know, versus these facilities, it's a much more complex business, right? And that's obvious. It's my, besides not just volume wise, but, but even qualitatively, it, there's just so many different departments. There's a rehab department, which that itself is a whole skill set to understand how to provide the right level of therapy that also is makes sense financially for the facilities so that you're capturing what you're capturing. You can, like I said, you can be providing the same minutes of therapy and one uh, and two nurses will get reimbursed completely different rates. There's also um, providing the care f- that is actually needed in the area where you're located. One model of care for nursing may make sense in one area and in another area where they don't need that, you might be have the best trach care in the world, but in that in that area they don't they're not discharging trachs from the hospital. Maybe they take care of them themselves, um, and then they discharge them home with you know with home care. But once they, once it's a little bit more uh, stable, so I don't have know. I can't say that there's a twelve percent profit margin on it. Uh, what I could say is that a lot of people who have no money can get into it though, because people who have money are willing to invest in nursing homes with someone who is who has experience and someone who has the ability to turn it around. So on the one hand, and, and it's something which has for many decades has proven to to possibly be a very profitable uh, business venture. Um, but it seems like what you're you know working with is smaller numbers. Now you could have lots of smaller numbers and you know I guess that's where the real question comes into play. Uh, but it's smaller numbers where you may not have to come on to an outside person. You know, there might be other funding options. And like you said, leasing or bank loans or small business loans, or even if you have to come on to Uncle Fred one time for your first, you know, uh, for your first down payment for your first facility, then you make enough money to, to buy your own. So it seems like an easier way to get in. If someone has a need to make a lot of money quickly, um, that might not be the right solution either. Someone who goes into nursing home, on the other hand, they can make a lot of money. They can make or lose a lot of money quickly, but you know they have the ability to you know to go either way. So it's really, it's really I guess a different animal. It's a different way, a different way of providing care, a different way of of making money from providing care. One thing I will say is that if anyone's listening, um, and this does not apply to you because apparently you've gone gotten past this hurdle, but a lot of times providers get very disgusted when people talk about money in healthcare. And, you know, I would, you know, I would tell my staff sometimes like our goal is to be as profitable as possible. That, that's our number one goal. And like, what do you mean? What about the residents? What about the staff? Isn't that our number one goal? I said, yeah, it is. But if, if we do that properly, we will be profitable. If we don't do that properly, properly, at the end of the day, it won't be. And if we're not profitable, eventually this place will close as I've seen and been involved in, you know, it, it does happen all the time. So there it's a business 
it doesn't have to. There are not there are nonprofits too, but um, it's okay for healthcare to be a business. And apparently, you've you've learned that because you left, not left, you pivoted from being a nurse into really providing care, more care, right, on a higher level and to so many more people than you could have done yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And healthcare, uh, I mean, it is a business, right? Like at the end of the day, everybody wins. Like you said, everybody wins if the business is making money. So, Correct, 100%. So um, we'll just, um, it's okay if we hear kids in the background, by the way. <laughs> um, if um, we'll just end off here. I, see, I didn't even realize the time because it's been a very fascinating episode. We'll wrap up here. But if someone wants to learn more about getting into residential assisted living facilities, um, from what I understand, you have some sort of program that you help people with that. Um, how can they learn more about you and your programs? Yeah, um, it's RAL Optimized, and they can go to raloptimized.com. Um, we're actually having a flagship excursion in January. We'll be having them quarterly so people can come and learn all about residential assisted living uh, and be really hands-on with it to, to really experience it right there. Um, so yeah, so check out that website. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and, um, and all that too. I'm really sorry about the newborn in the background. <laughs> um, he was sleeping, but, yeah, uh, yeah, find us on there, shoot me a message and, uh, I'll be happy to, to help you and steer you in the right direction. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the nursing home podcast. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.